this story of the three magi has always been a fascinating story. It's one that has piqued the interest, sparked the imagination of people all throughout the centuries. And if you look back, there's so much written about these magi, about who they were. Unfortunately, sometimes it can devolve into a sort of fairy tale. And so the late Pope Benedict, he wrote a three-volume series called Jesus of Nazareth. And the third volume that he published is actually about this part, the infancy narratives, it's called. And he writes in there about, he brings together all sorts of studies about the Magi to see what can we really know about these Magi. That's what we want to look at tonight. What can we know about them? But more importantly, what do they have to say to us today, 2,000 years later? What can we learn from these Magi? So first of all, who are they? Matthew refers to them in his gospel as Magi from the land of the rising sun. That's the way that he puts it in his gospel. Most likely, what we can know about them is that they were wise men, philosophers, astrologers from the area of Persia at the time of Jesus. And more importantly, that they were seekers of the truth. They were seeking to know more about what this life is about, what this world is all about. And so they're observing all that they can take in, observing the stars, observing things around them to to learn the truth. What is the truth about our reality, about our lives? They were seeking more, and it's in this seeking that they discover this new star. Well, what is this star? Well, Pope Benedict also draws together a lot of different studies that have been done, and actually recent studies have been done by astronomers. And what they found is that around the time of Jesus, there was an astronomical phenomenon that took place, which was that Jupiter and Saturn aligned in the sign of Pisces. This is one explanation. And even more interestingly, these two planets that they would observe at the time of Persia, they had significance. Jupiter represented their highest deity, Marduk. And Saturn, interestingly enough, represented the Jewish people. And this is one way to explain why they would say we saw his star rising. Because all of a sudden, Jupiter that aligns with his star that represented their deity, they could possibly take it to mean that there's a new king who's come of the Jewish people, who's aligned and maybe even greater than their greatest deity. And just with that, they set off on this journey. There must have been something also moving them from within to undertake this journey, and they do that. And it was no small journey. Our estimates, the most conservative estimates, are that they traveled around 1,000 miles to do this, and it would have taken them between four and five months to reach this place. And where do they go to first? Well, they go to the big city, the biggest city of the Jews, Jerusalem. They expected that's where we'll find the newborn king. And of course it is. It is the most important city where all the chief scribes are, the chief priests, the current king at the time, King Herod is there. But the newborn king's not there. He's not there. And they actually point them in the right direction. Where was he? In Bethlehem, a very small village. Very small village, six miles away from Jerusalem. That's where they find him. What was the purpose of their journey? Why why would they travel a thousand miles at least What were they wanting to do? Well, it says three times in the gospel what they wanted to do. To do him homage. That may sound crazy to us. I travel a thousand miles just to do him homage. But that's what they do when they reach Bethlehem. The word that Matthew uses is this Greek word proskunesis, which literally means to 
to throw oneself down. They prostrate themselves. What a sight to see. Three important dignitaries from Persia that have traveled this way to prostrate themselves before a newborn baby. Why? We don't know whether it was along the journey or when they reached there, but they came to discover through faith that this was God. And the most important thing that they could do, the most important response what they, that they could do is to prostrate themselves, to adore, to worship God. God made man. What does this have to say to us? Well, this lesson of adoration is so important for us because it's very easy for us to be more like those in Jerusalem. They were only six miles away, but none of them went. Why? Probably caught up in their own things, in the busyness, in the worries, the stresses of our daily life. And this is something that impacts all of us, to get caught up in all the things that we have in our day-to-day lives, running from one thing to the next, getting stressed out, worried, suffering from anxiety, and one thing runs into another, one day into another, and week into another, years into, and pretty soon we're in 2023, 2024, and they, they fly by. But what the Magi want to teach us is that the solution to that, the solution to the stress and to the anxiety and from running to one thing to the next, the solution is adoration. That proskunis is to take time to adore the Lord. In the Catechism, it describes adoration as the first attitude of man, acknowledging that he is a creature before his creator. It exalts the greatness of the Lord who made us and the almighty power of the Savior who sets us free from evil. Adoration is the homage of the Spirit to the King of glory, respectful silence in the presence of the ever greater God. How important is that for us? Look at that quote. Acknowledging that we're creatures before our creator, to take time to do that before God, to exalt his greatness, to remember what he's done for us, that he's rescued us, that he's saved us. And how important is that respectful silence, to have moments of silence before God in his presence, to do as that famous Psalm 46 says, to be still and know that I am God. Just let that truth sink in before him. He's God. He's with us. He's got us. He holds us in his hands. And we see the fruits of this adoration in the Magi. We see two two fruits specifically. The first one that it says in the Gospel of Matthew is that when they found him, when they came before him, it says they rejoiced with exceeding joy. That's the literal translation. It's this redundancy. Why? Because words can't describe the joy that you can experience before God when you take time to be in his presence. That's the joy that they experience, being in the presence of God. And secondly, it says that they returned by another road. And what this has been interpreted as by the fathers of the church is that it didn't just mean that they were avoiding Herod, but there's a spiritual meaning as well. That when you truly encounter God, you really adore him in his presence, you go back differently, just like they did. After they prostrated themselves before God made man, they went home differently. They couldn't go back the same after that experience. And the good news for us is that we can do the same thing. 
We can adore the Lord, and it is so important for us to do that. In our day-to-day life, the first way that we can do that, I'll give two, two ways. The first way is that in our day-to-day life, it's so important to have moments of silence and just become aware of God's presence with us, especially in, in stressful situations when something's worrying you, to stop for a moment, to do like that psalm, be still and know that he's God, he's with us. Become aware of his presence with you. But secondly, even more importantly, more literally for this adoration, is to come before the Lord. It's interesting because Bethlehem, the literal meaning of that word Bethlehem, is house of bread. That's what that town means. That's what the name means, house of bread. Jesus Christ has converted every Catholic church into a house of bread, house of living bread. The living bread come down from heaven that's in our tabernacle, Jesus Christ himself. And so how good it is for us to be able to take at least one moment in the week between one mass and another, one Sunday and another, to come to a church and to adore the Lord, to be in his presence for just a little while. And especially if you can be in a place where there's Eucharistic adoration. And adore the Lord in the Eucharist. That's the most powerful way to adore the Lord is in the Eucharist, in Eucharistic adoration. I was speaking with a man this week because we have Eucharistic adoration here from Thursday at 1 p.m. until Friday morning at 4 a.m. And I was speaking to the man who comes every Friday morning at 2 a.m. And I asked him, how do you do it every week? You come every week faithfully. And he told me, Father, it didn't begin like this. He said, what I did was I began because a friend of mine said how good it was, how much it was helping him to do a little bit of time of adoration in the week. So he said, I started with 15 minutes in the week. He said, when I first started, I would go, and I would go begin my adoration, and I said, okay, I made a deal with the Lord, 15 minutes, one time a week. That's what he did. He said, at first, I would come, and for 15 minutes, my mind was just moving from one thing to the next. I had so many distractions. Sometimes I would go away, I'd feel like I got nothing out of it. But he said, but I made that promise, so I kept going. He said, with time, after several weeks, I started to be able to silence my mind, silence my heart, and to really begin to adore the Lord, to tell him what was in my heart, to lay down what was in my heart, any worries that I had, and to just be silent before him. He said, when I began to be able to do that, those 15 minutes started turning into 20, and then to 30, and then to an hour each week that I started to do. That's how it began for him. That's how it can begin for us so good just to take some time each week, begin with that, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, wherever you're at, to come and adore the Lord, to open, just like they open their treasures, open your heart to the Lord. Tell him what's in your heart, the good things, the things that are stressing you, that you're worried about, the decisions that you need to make, and then take time of silence, that respectful silence before God to adore him. I guarantee you, if you do that, you'll experience those fruits that joy that comes out of that, that peace that comes out of that, and that after that time of adoration, you'll begin to go home differently. 